you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John. This morning we're in John chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is Jesus in the Kingdom of God. And as we look at this passage, we see a a pretty simple and straightforward teaching that Jesus uh, gives us. There's not a a lot that he holds, there's nothing that he holds back here. He he simply, uh, he speaks the truth as this one named Nicodemus comes to him uh, and finds him at night. And so if you found your place in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, say amen. Follow along as I read. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Let us pray. Lord, let us teach us, empower us, illumine our minds to understand these things this morning. Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts, into our lives. We ask God that as we dwell upon your word this morning, that you would manifest your goodness to us, teaching us to rejoice in your truth, and teaching us, God, to love your word, and teaching us to live our lives according to your word. And Lord, we give you the glory for all that you will say and teach us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we begin this text this morning, the first, the first thing we need to note is there is a connection between verses 23 through 25 of chapter 2 and verse 1 of chapter 3. In fact, our English translation might lead us to think of a, a break here in the text But we need to be careful not to simply make a break and disassociate chapter 3, verse 1 from what Jesus has just said in verses 20, or what John has just told us in verses 23 through 25. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is the heart of man and the heart of the matter. I think Jesus 
as he, as he speaks to the need for spiritual regeneration in this passage, he confronts, or Nicodemus comes to him, and he speaks to the heart of this man, Nicodemus, and he speaks to the heart of the matter, or the issue at hand, that Nicodemus is really wrestling with deep down. And so the connection between verses 23 and 25 and verse 1, I, I want to show you, in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 2, he's speaking about the omniscience of Christ, that he knows man, he knows the heart of man. In fact, in verse 23, it says that when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many people believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. And Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all men. They were believing in him, but literally the word there, when he wasn't entrusting himself, he wasn't believing in them. They were believing in him, but he wasn't believing in them, in what they were coming to him saying. And because he did not need anyone, in verse 25, to testify concerning man, he himself knew what was in man. Now, notice how verse 1 begins. Now, there was a man man of the Pharisees. Here's a man coming to Jesus. Here's one of those who were believing in the signs that he was doing, but wasn't believing in Jesus himself. This is one that Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to. So Nicodemus represents that group. In fact, it says, as he comes to Jesus, he says, listen, we've seen the signs. We know that you've come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so we have an example here in Nicodemus of one who is one of those unbelieving believers. One who's been attracted to the sensational, having seen signs that Jesus was doing, but one who is not attracted to discipleship or following Christ. Now, Nicodemus, he tells us, John tells us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, a little bit about Nicodemus, even in verse 1, telling us that he was a, a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a man that had devoted his whole life to following Judaism and living his life according to the law. He had devoted all of his efforts and energy to, to memorizing large chunks of Scripture and, and memorizing even the Torah. It says that he was a ruler of the Jews. In other words, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. Nicodemus was, he was, he was very high among Judaism, or among the Jews. He was a ruler of the Jews. The Supreme Court, or the uh, the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members and ruled over by one high priest. It was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. And these were religious, uh, the religious elite are, are the, high, the, the priestly families that were of influence. And so Nicodemus, we see him in the story, or in this encounter. And we see him as a man who is influential He's a man who's powerful and not only a ruler of the Jews, but verse 10 tells us that he was the teacher, not a teacher. But Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And 
do not understand these things? Nicodemus was significant in Judaism. He was a man of knowledge and a man of power and the man of influence. But notice what it says there in verse 2, that he came to Jesus by night. Now, he probably came to Jesus by night so that others wouldn't see him coming to Jesus. But some have suggested that he, he came to Jesus by night because he wanted to speak to Jesus as he was relaxing and have, have enough time to have a, a lengthy conversation and really speak with Jesus. Whatever the case, we know that when he comes to him, he says, Rabbi, and, and he entreats Jesus with this word, Rabbi, and in essence saying that we're equals here, even though Jesus wasn't a learned man and a learned scholar in the sense that Nicodemus was and had, had given his life to the study of Scripture, but he comes to Jesus, and out of respect, he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. His conclusions about Jesus were accurate. He had come from God. In fact, when he says, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, and he says, this is the reason, because no one can do these signs. No one is able to do the signs and the things that you are doing if he doesn't have the power of God with him. And so he comes and he makes this confession. He makes this truthful statement about Jesus. But the problem was that it really didn't go far enough. It was truthful to the extent that he had spoken. But if you think back with me for a moment, Jesus doesn't intend for these signs to be the object of one's faith. These signs are simply markers. They, they're pointers. They're to point everyone who sees. They're to point them to the reality that God is glorious and that God is powerful. And they're to point everyone to the realization that Jesus has, that God the Father has stepped down through Jesus the Son and that Jesus has tabernacled or made His dwelling among us. John chapter 1, verse 14 and so these signs are, are pointers for us to see the glory of God dwelling in Christ. And so Jesus, as he hears what Nicodemus says, ultimately he, he doesn't want Nicodemus or anybody else for that matter to be distracted by the signs and not have faith, but the intention is that the signs would point us to a place of seeing that Christ is the one deserving of our faith. We must have faith in the one who is the worker of the signs, not in the signs themselves. But when Nicodemus says this, Jesus doesn't respond directly to what Nicodemus says. In fact, Jesus answered him, and in his answer, it, it might seem a bit unusual, but in verse 3, his answer, he begins by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This phrase, truly, truly, it's a phrase that's used exclusively in the Gospel of John. And so as you read through Scripture, you won't find this double statement made anywhere else. It's only here in the Gospel of John. John uses it some 25 times as a marker in his gospel. And when we see this at a place in the gospel of John, when we see this phrase, we need to take note because Jesus is saying something that's of monumental importance for us to get. And here, what Jesus is saying is that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
In other words, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking about regeneration. And he's detailing the only way that man will see or enter the kingdom of God is by being born again. It's a simple phrase. It's a simple word. You must be born again. And I want you to notice, though, that Nicodemus represents, he really represents man's greatest hope in coming to God. He represents man's greatest hope and and achievement in coming to God on his own, in saving himself. But the religious system or, or the practice that he had given himself to, we see, was insufficient. What becomes evident as we consider Nicodemus's background is that he was trusting in himself to earn favor with God. He was trusting in the things that he could do. He was trusting in all that he could muster up in the good ethical and moral standard that he would live by in order to earn his favor with God and in order to earn salvation. And so I I want you to understand that Nicodemus genuinely thought He genuinely thought and believed that his life and the things he was doing and his beliefs would bring him salvation. He genuinely thought that he had entrance into the kingdom of God because of what he believed and what he was living, the way that he was living. But I want you to understand what Jesus is countering him with here. He's saying it's not about the religious pedigree that one has that he gains entrance into the kingdom of God. It's it's not by any religious pedigree. It's not by being a descendant of Abraham, which was huge for Nicodemus. It's not by being a strict observer of the law. As Jesus even says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not about performing external religious rituals, which is what Nicodemus was trusting in. Whether it be circumcision for the Jews or adhering to the hours of prayer or meeting together for for temple worship or or maybe the the, the rituals of purification and cleansing like like we saw those six stone water pots in the miracle of the wedding at Cana. They would come and cleanse themselves or whether it be fasting, or sacrifices, or tithing, or anything else, none of these things gained Nicodemus' entrance into the kingdom of God. I don't know what you want to put in that spot this morning. Perhaps something you are trusting to grant entrance into the kingdom of God. Maybe somebody here this morning is trusting in something other than what Jesus is saying to be born again for entrance into the kingdom of God. And so we see Nicodemus as one who represents man's greatest hope in saving himself. None of us could claim to be as righteous as Nicodemus was according to the law. None of us could be as disciplined as, well, maybe we could, but I would venture to say that most of us are not as disciplined as Nicodemus was in pursuing and memorizing scripture and 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 walking with God and making sure that all of these things in his life were were lined up with the commands and the law of God. And so Nicodemus, here's the point. Nicodemus thought that his religious devotion, 
his learning, his background would grant him access into the kingdom of God, but it had blinded him to the truth of Messiah and his need for a deliverer. And so when Jesus says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. He's making really a play on words on what Nicodemus has just stated in verse 2. Namely, that in verse 2, Nicodemus says, unless one is... uh, No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That is, no one is able, no one has the power to do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And in the same exact word, Jesus counters and says, unless one is born again, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. This makes entrance into the kingdom of God contingent on something that's humanly impossible. It makes entrance into the kingdom of God contingent on something that he is not living for and not doing. One scholar commented, spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something he produces. See, Nicodemus must learn this truth. He can't produce regeneration in his own life. It's only a work of God. It's only a work that God can do in the life of a person. Regeneration and spiritual birth is something that comes from God. It is something that is done to us, not something that we can do for us. And Jesus Christ tells him, unless one is born of God, born from above, born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. We learn from Nicodemus that approaching Christ demands us to remain open and submissive to to Jesus' teaching, to his leading. And we learn from Jesus here that there's only one way to enter the kingdom of God, that is to be born again. Just as physical birth brings us into the world, he's saying spiritual birth brings us into God's heavenly kingdom. We must guard. I I think here we we, we see we, we, we must guard the language of our Lord here and keep the simplicity of the message that he's speaking. Being born again is a simple statement. But it's one that that teaches us we need the divine activity of God, of the Holy Spirit in our lives to regenerate us. That we might be born again. That we would be born from above, made new, as Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. This being born again, it's not just that I go into the shop and I, I get my car overhauled. You know, th- this is this is my life. I, I am I am born anew. Everything is new. I'm a new creature. When I come in contact with Jesus Christ for the very first time and I, I'm converted to faith in Christ, I am made new. You are made new. We're a new creature. Everything changes. We are we are birthed anew. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's communicating to Nicodemus. And this is the message that believers need to proclaim today. Church, this is the this is the gospel message that we need to be about sharing. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
This is the message that's missing in many of our evangelistic encounters with others, with the lost today. Jesus says you must be born again. It's a message that's even missing in many churches today. Those places where people meet for worship that call themselves churches, these gathering, it's a, it's a message that's missing. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus and was calling him to let go of self-sufficiency, calling him to quit trusting in his works to earn righteousness. And Jesus cuts right to the real issue, like, like a missile straight to the heart. He's speaking of supernatural transformation that must occur in Nicodemus's life and must occur in our lives. If we are to be Christian, disciples of Christ, there must be a conversion. There must be a new birth. Many are in the same place today as Nicodemus was when he came to Jesus under the guise of night. Approaching Jesus while trusting in themselves or trusting in their works for salvation, thinking somehow if they do enough good, they can earn favor with God. That's not the case. We cannot earn the favor of God. Maybe there are even some this morning who who are tired of of religion and need to experience the supernatural transformation that only comes by being born again. But beyond this gathering this morning, beyond us being in this worship space this morning, there are people that we work with and play with and and go to school with who have left the church because of a superficiality. And they're watching your life and are being drawn back to Christ because of the genuineness of your faith. Or maybe watching our lives and being pushed away from Christ because of a lack of genuineness in our faith. There are others who have experienced the healing of God personally or maybe in their family or, or in the life of a friend, a close friend, and they've, they've seen it as, as a sign from God. But they need to be pointed to faith in the one who performs the miracle. And church, that's where we come in. We would be those ones sharing this truth of being born again. As we learned from Nicodemus, our genuine belief doesn't amount to salvation if it's not in accordance with Jesus' teaching. The heart of Nicodemus is known by Jesus and he challenges him. You must be born again like a missile to the heart, confronting pride. Confronting self-sufficiency, confronting works-based salvation that we earn our way to God. It's this missile to the heart. Unless you're born again, Nick, you cannot enter my kingdom. Unless you have new birth, spiritual birth, regeneration, you cannot enter my kingdom. As parents, do do we beg of God for the salvation of our children? As parents, do we want to see... God transform the lives of our children? I think we do. We we call out to God. We cry to God, wanting Him to save our children, wanting Him to save our unsaved friends, wanting Him to transform the lives of those that we come in contact with. Secondly, this morning, 
think we see that Jesus is saying entrance into the kingdom of God is by his spirit. In verse 4, Jesus replies with, or Nicodemus replies with a, with a shocking question, or replies rather to the shocking words with a question, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter into his mother's womb a second time, can he? Nicodemus, knowing the physical impossibility of a second physical birth, asked this question. But notice three times in this passage, three times Jesus says entrance into the kingdom of God is predicated on being born again. In verse 3, in verse 5, in verse 7. And in verses 5 and 6, he, he attributes the work of spiritual birth to the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In verse 7, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. This phrase in verse 5, born of water and the Spirit, has been among some debate and scholarship But I want to tell you what I think Jesus is saying here and why I think he's saying it with the connection that we see throughout the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, unless unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He is speaking about being birthed in union with Christ. But to all who did receive him in John 1, 12 and 13, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In saying that we must be born both of water and spirit, Jesus is not speaking here of natural birth or the natural birth process. It would not be necessary to even say that because everyone he's speaking to would have been born according to the natural birth process. Nor did they understand birth to be the amniotic fluid in the water that would break, that would come out in this day when a woman was about to go into labor. And he's not speaking about Christian baptism because Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone. And in this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, Christian baptism had not yet been instituted But instead, I I think Jesus is alluding to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 27, that prophecy where Ezekiel says, for I, I will take you or God says through Ezekiel, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The language of the New Testament continues the idea of of cleansing with water. And in Titus 3, 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit or in Ephesians 5:26, where 
Paul says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What Jesus is saying here is that we need cleansing and we need to be birthed to new spiritual life. And that this only comes through the divine activity of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. And so in answering Nicodemus' question, he says, unless one is born of the flesh, or that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, he is meaning to say that which is born of the flesh is flesh, speaking of human fleshly achievement. And he's saying that human fleshly achievement is no benefit for entrance into the kingdom of God. Leon Morris, one commentary, says this, The way into God's kingdom is not a way worked out by man. The natural man always likes to think that he can merit acceptance by God by the kind of life he lives. The great deeds he does or some other aspect of human striving But what Jesus is saying here when he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, is flesh begets flesh. Flesh brings about no spiritual benefit in the life of a child of God or in the life of a person who is coming to conversion in Christ or regeneration. Flesh has nothing to do with it. Flesh begets flesh. He says, though, that that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so he makes it clear in saying... The Spirit brings about the spiritual. It is the Spirit that gives life. In fact, in John 6.63, Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so what Jesus is saying here is that entrance into the kingdom of God is dependent on something that's humanly impossible. Only the Holy Spirit of God can bring about regeneration. Man can't will it to be or or coerce it to be or earn it, but only can receive it. The word for wind and spirit, he gives us an illustration in verse 8 to to show us what he's talking about and what he means. He says the wind blows where it wishes and you, you hear the sound of it but don't know where it comes from or where it is going. In other words, the wind blows where it wishes. We, we can't control it. It's beyond our ability to control where the wind blows. You hear the sound of it. We can only hear and, and, and see the effects of the wind. We hear it howl. Or we, we see the dust blown up or we see the trees shake and the leaves blow. We feel the cool breeze on our skin. He says you don't know where it comes from or or where it's going. We don't know where it began, where it begins, where it ends, where it goes to. And he says, so is everyone born of the spirit. The word that he uses here for wind and spirit, it's the exact same word in the Greek New Testament. Pneuma speaks of wind and it speaks of spirit. There's somewhat of a play on words here, and John intends us to understand, or Jesus intends us to understand that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The wind will blow where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. And so is everyone who is born of the spirit. 
F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, makes a statement about this. He says, the operation of the wind is a parable of the work of the Spirit. The new birth of the Spirit is independent of human volition. It comes neither from the will of the flesh nor the will of man. And what Jesus is saying here is that as the wind blows and we don't know and can't control it, so is the way of the Spirit in the life of a person, of a convert, of one who is born again. We don't know where the Spirit comes from or how He is working, but we do see the evidence in the life of the child of God. So I think what we see in Nicodemus' life, even at the end in John chapter 19, is he goes with Joseph of Arimathea after Christ has been crucified on the cross. And when he goes with Joseph of Arimathea to the cross to take the body of Christ down, he brings 100 pounds of of a mixture of ointment that will be placed on Jesus' body for burial. We see the actions of a man who has eventually become transformed and experienced the new birth of Christ. What Jesus is saying here is this is a work of God's sovereign grace. This is a work of God's grace in the life of any convert, anyone who is born again, any child of God. And by the work of sovereign grace, we 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 mean the or I mean the work of God and the act of regeneration in the human heart. It is a gracious work of God that is beyond our ability to procure. We can't simply birth ourselves. Only God can. It's by his gracious work that he even draws us to himself. And this is what Jesus is speaking about here. Reference John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And then later on in John chapter 6, verse 65, when all those would-be disciples disciples who were following him, they had seen him multiply the food and feed 5,000. He begins teaching on bread and his body being bread and blood. And he says to them, his disciples, after many had turned away, he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father What Jesus is telling us is there is a need for dependency upon the Holy Spirit of God. There is a work of God that he does in the midst of transformation and regeneration and the birth. And it's only by the Holy Spirit of God that this regeneration happens in the life of a person. The only way we are born again is by the the working of the Spirit. Unless he is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God for that which is Born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This morning, church, we must confess our need for and and dependence on God because the things of God are spiritually discerned. Jesus clearly teaches it's only by the Spirit of God that we can truly experience the salvation of God. And so this morning, I think we arrive at the place that Nicodemus arrived at. At least some of us. That is, we're grappling with the truth. In verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? In other words, these are hard things. How can they be? Like Nicodemus, we 
come to this point and we might be saying, how can these things be? Jesus tells Nicodemus, as a teacher of Israel, how is it that you don't understand these things? Anyone who studied the Old Testament scripture like Nicodemus ought to recognize that this teaching is not foreign to the Old Testament. Ought to recognize that this comes from God. Perhaps some of us sitting here this morning, we agree with Nicodemus that this is a hard teaching and difficult for us to hear. But I assure you, like Nicodemus, Jesus knows our hearts and this word has been perhaps a missile that's gone straight to the heart of the matter in your life, the need for spiritual regeneration, the need to be born again. Will we respond like Nicodemus this morning and ask the question, how can this be and resist? Or will we submit to God and rejoice in his sovereign grace in our lives, understanding that our salvation truly is a gift from God? I think we're presented with four possible responses this morning. The first response is to reject, to reject this word of God, the truth of God. We could just reject it and Say that that's not for me. The second one is perhaps most like Nicodemus, that we would ponder the word of God as as the Holy Spirit is working in our life, drawing us to the Father. And like Nicodemus, prayerfully we come to that place of conversion and faith in Christ. Our third, it is to trust Christ for salvation and experience the spiritual birth and be born again. If this is you this morning, I want to encourage you to not delay, but heed what the Lord God is calling you to. That is the spiritual birth, regeneration, confession before the Lord and trusting in his leading and working in your life. Or fourthly, it is to rejoice this morning in the sovereign work of God in your life, praising him for this work of salvation that he has accomplished in your life by the spirit giving birth to new life in you. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever one of these responses characterizes you, I pray that it's not the first. I pray that you will not reject the truth of God, but that we will submit to the truth and the word of God this morning. And so wherever you're at in in any of these responses this morning, I want to pray for God to strengthen you, to give you the strength to walk with him and to follow him and to walk by his spirit. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, We submit our lives to your leading. We submit our lives to your lordship over us. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to guide us. And Lord, we pray, worshiping you and thanking you for the salvation that you have given us. We understand, Lord, that it's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves for the flesh doesn't profit anything, but it is your spirit that gives life. And so we praise you, Father. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for giving us life and breathing life into us. For we were once like those dry bones in the valley. 
when your servant Ezekiel prophesied and your breath brought life. Thank you, Father, for the life that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for our union with Christ. And we worship you this morning for your goodness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?